Hi. Hi. Hi, everyone. Okay, great. So we have Ellen Kay here. Um, yeah. And we are recording. Okay, hold one sec. Thank you. Can you hear my dog? Dark, can you hear her? No, I can't hear her. Okay. And I have headphones on too. Hey, Calvin or Maria, can you come and get Callie? Now I hear her. <laughs> go find Calvin. Go get Calvin. Go, go, go. The dog is hot. <laughs> Want to see Alanis? I played her. I played. Callie loves music. Aww. So I played the Alanis music for her. <laughs> okay, okay we, we're just waiting, Al. I see that their mic is off. Okay. Let's do this. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> Hello. Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm well. How are you? Doing good. Good. Yes. Thank you for your time today. Oh my gosh. Thank you for yours. Hi, Alanis. We have you with Ellen Kay, and we will begin recording now, and I will hit mute on my end. You two are good to go. Okay, great. Thanks. All right. Alanis, you've been, well, first of all, congratulations on everything. You've been so super busy, too, and we're so happy we could catch up with you. You know, we were together, you and me, mm -hmm. 25 years ago on KISS FM. Wow. And here we are today. And so much is so much has happened period <laughs> wow i didn't know that that's great yeah we're still alive yeah we're still alive you are kicking butt and putting out so much great stuff um the documentary uh tell me about that the documentary allison clayman documentary <laughs> the jagged little pill yeah yes documentary, um, yeah. yes um it's going well I mean, I've probably never let anyone into this degree that I'm doing, and Allison is smart and safe, and so I feel safe in her hands. And we're, you know, basically, I'm sharing as much as I can possibly share, and then it'll be up to her magic to see what remains. Right. What falls on that editing room floor. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, come experience those heady years with me and see <laughs> things that was like, we, what would you do then? Because that's when I first met you. What were you doing back then that you would never do today? Um, well, my work addiction wasn't really addressed. I didn't even know there was such thing until now. Mm -hmm. Guy Brian Robinson was really kind of the seminal voice for, for work addiction recovery, and I had the gift of, of meeting him. So I did a podcast with him, too, because I was super, you know, when, as a young person, when children are perceived as like, oh, you're so poised beyond your years, or you're so wise, or you're mm -hmm. so, you know, that sounds great on paper, but it's actually a version of parentification and not allowing the child in some ways to just be a child. So, so the work addiction kind of tendency, which is basically overgiving, over serving, not knowing when to set the boundary, white knuckling through everything, um, that tendency is really embedded into the culture to the point where 
if we say we work till five in the morning, someone would go, oh, that's great. You must've gotten so much done, you know? But if I said I did heroin until five in the morning, right. people would be concerned, understandably. So, mm -hmm. but it's a similar dopamine chase. And, um, and, you know, eventually any addiction starts off as a relief giving. And I have a lot of empathy for myself and for those who are mired in addiction, but eventually it kills us, right? So yeah. you know, work addiction is no different. The stress is a killer. I'm so happy that you shared that because uh, I think there are a lot of people, especially during the pandemic, who we have that anxiety added on. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of us are working from home. I'm working from home every day. Uh, I turned a, a baby nursery that uh, my kid's now 18 into a, a little studio. Mm. And, um, and it's just hard to, to get your bearings. And, you know, we were taking live calls from everyone every morning and we're hearing, we're just hearing a lot of fear. And then people not knowing when to turn it off. So, um, right. I mean, the fact that we could physically drive to an office or another environment would mm -hmm. it sort of set its own parameters for us. So now, now we're at home and everything bleeds into the next moment. And next thing you know, you're still working at two in the morning. <laughs> yeah, exactly. oh, I gotta be careful. Um, <laughs> well, and as a mother, how has this pandemic been for you balancing your family and work? Um, for me, it's, it's as best as I possibly can. I attempt to have a transition moment. And in the past, transitions would last maybe 30 minutes before I would put on another archetypal hat and then kick into that mode. But now the transitions are maybe 10 seconds. So I'm a little bit running on empty. And I think a lot of us are. We're, a lot of us are in that fight, flight, freeze mode because mm. the pandemic is just so outside of our normal way of life. And um, and we're social creatures, mirror neurons, we need each other. So Zoom is really epic and, and a great consolation prize, but there's nothing like touch and eye contact and smelling each other. And, you know, it's like there's, there's um, we're, in, we're an egregiously undertouched society as it is. So for it to be even more pronounced is pretty devastating. And, and I, it, it's challenging to watch the so-called leadership around wanting to put our eye on the economy more so than on people's mental health and people's well-being. You know, I see that happening too. Yeah. Oh man. And then with, with, with little ones, uh, my son is 18. So he's going off to college and the campus is still going to open wow. just for the freshmen and a few sophomores, but he, um, you wow. know, didn't do anything this last, uh, you know, the graduation and prom yeah. and all that stuff. And, and now when these kids want to get together, probably with yours too, there's a thing where, you know, the mothers will call me and say, okay, when was your last test? Are you testing? Nice. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're all, we're all terrified. I mean, you know, I was for a long time, for many weeks, I was having a panic attack per night to the point where I, you know, I could literally clock it. I could just say, okay, 9.30 PM, it's going to hit. Okay. Hey, why do you think 9.30 were, were people asleep and the house was quiet? I think that whenever it would get dark, you know, and as a younger person, when I first moved to Los Angeles, every mm -hmm. time I went into a movie theater, just before the previews would start, you know, there's that millimone of dark where the whole room yes. goes dark. Where you can't see anything. Attack. That was like, and I, and I researched it because why, why was it, you know, on a massage table or in a movie theater, sometimes while I was meditating, the panic attack would just completely overwhelm me. And I, I think I came to find through Peter Levine, a bunch of articles he wrote, Mm -hmm. He started somatic experiencing the trauma recovery model. And he, he basically coined this thing called uh, relaxation induced anxiety. Oh. So the theory is that if, if this hypervigilance of, of feeling in danger and the cortisol is cooking, nervous system is jacked, <clears throat> 
the second I start to relax, all, you know, it's like danger, danger. You can't relax. You're going to get killed. <laughs> so, I mean, that's just a very basic broad stroke of, of the name. Down. I'm going to look, I'm going to look up all those articles because maybe you were doing this too with your panicking. I wasn't breathing. Yeah. I was literally watching the news, not breathing. And, and I would find myself feeling so like, I think I'm going to, like, I literally thought I was going to faint. And then I realized, well, no wonder I'm, I'm like hyperventilating or holding my breath. It's like being underwater. Right, and right. so this guy, Jay Shetty on Instagram, he's a friend of our family. And so he, he called us on the radio and he's like, look, you, you got to remember to breathe. Like, that's just the first thing. And then you know everything else can follow <laughs> but i mean who wants to breathe when you think you're when you think you're dying <laughs> you're um, not gonna make it to the next day oh man the level of consciousness that that asks of us is almost too much <laughs> like, <laughs> uh well with jagged little pill the musical did you like could you have ever imagined oh my god i'm gonna have my my stuff is gonna be a successful broadway musical i had no idea um and when i was <laughs> When I was first talking with Vivek and uh, probably about nine years ago now, um, meeting with them about it, I just thought I'd love to do a musical. This as long as it's not a jukebox musical because sometimes those are jarring when you attempt to fit a, a pre-existing record into a story or the book as it's called. Mm -hmm. um, but in this case, Diablo Cody, I waited a long time. I met with some incredible writers. Um, yeah. um, but when I met Diablo Cody, it was sort of an instant, we almost were really quiet together because it was just an instant understanding of, of what the story could be. And she saw it and she pulled mm. the characters out of the songs. So that really rendered everything to be kind of cohesive and make sense and mm. not be jarring. Um, but it's been, it's been a wild ride and it's so communal touring on my own, especially in a pointedly patriarchal context where I would be the only female on all these bills around the planet and there'd be 17 other male bands and me, you know, uh -huh, yeah. to be part of a musical now where there's, you know, however many people, 120 people. Yeah. And they're all at the top of their game. And there's just everywhere I turn is just leadership everywhere. It was one of the first times that I could just rest and that I wasn't in the driver's seat. I mean, I'm in the driver's seat, but there's about 11 other people in there with me and we're all leading mm -hmm. on each other. So it's been an incredible experience. And I, we're, we're all crestfallen that, that Broadway is dark right now, but yeah. we'll come back. It'll come back. Look, I have such high hopes that that we're coming back and we're going to get the right whatever it is we need, vaccines and leadership and all that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so that we can... 2021! We can go see Atlantis <laughs> and we can, go to, we, can go to, we can go to Broadway and see the yes. musical. Yes. Oh, God. Uh, so tell me, tell me about your, your new music, too. Um, I love the whole vibe and feeling of it. When I was playing it, my 18-year-old my son, who's a musicologist, he just loves... He, he, he can't consume it fast enough. He comes running in the room. He's like, oh my God, what is that? Turn that up. And so we were like, literally, you can just feel it through your body. Kind wow. of. Where did you write that? What were you doing when you came up with it? Um, I was living in Malibu with mm -hmm. my family and um, basically smack right on the water. And uh, Mike Farrell, who, whom I tour with on keyboards, I just mm -hmm. I told him that I initially wanted to write a piano record. So I said, come on over. All we want is us two and a piano. That's all we need. So all of the songs were written in this room with Mike on piano. And then we moved, actually. We'd, I'd been in L.A. for 25 years, loved it. But it was really time for me to, to move up north. So we live outside of San Francisco now. Mm, beautiful. And, um, 
it's mm -hmm. so pretty. I love it. And a lot I'm of my, there. Yeah. More of my academic friends are up here. I do miss LA, but you can always at some point get on a plane. Yeah. Next year. Um, uh, but what was your question? And what was oh, it? my question was, yeah, where did you write it? You were, so yeah. you started Malibu, then you, then you moved. Yeah, um, we moved, so I finished, I think I wrote two more songs up here in the Bay Area. Mm -hmm. And then Chris Dugan mixed it. Um, he's up here, he's in Oakland. So yeah, it took, it was a bit of a piecemeal pro uh, process in a way that I'd never done before, but I actually didn't mind it. You know, I, I usually, my, my way of thinking around processes is that it kind of ultimately things happen in a short amount of time or a concentrated amount of time. But mm -hmm. I'm now realizing that that was a little bit of my work addiction that thought yeah. that I had to get a record done in two months. You know? Right. I was going to say that was the, probably the old Atlantis that wouldn't stop. Yes. The white knuckler. But you so. just gonna let it simmer. <laughs> Atlantis. <laughs> <laughs> Look how mature she is. Um, so, uh, so yeah. And then when it was done, um, I mean, we just literally went into mixing and then the pandemic was here and we were going to release the record May 1st, but I just thought, I mean, I was in shock along with everyone else in that you know, initial moments uh, of disbelief. I'm still in disbelief, it's still surreal. But, um, but at the time I just thought, I'm not sure a brown haired woman from Ottawa, Canada's crisis is something that people wanna to listen to when we're in the midst of a pandemic. Um, however, here we are, however many months later, three months later. You know what I mean? Now, now it's, not to say that we're entirely thawing out from this, but there's a little bit more bandwidth to take in more information. So who knows, this may be a good time or a horrifying time. And my son just walked in the room. Hi, Avery. Ah. <laughs> yeah. I'm almost finished. <laughs> when are you going to be? I'll do, I'll do that with you when later. When are we going to upload your secret um, we can work on that later today. We could do it today? Uh, start yes. working on it today. What are we working on it? <laughs> <laughs> Talking to your mommy about her music and all of her success. Your mommy's a wonder woman. Oh. How, yes, about, how, about, <laughs> how about we talk later, Ever? You said it would be a month and we would upload it and... <laughs> that um, Ever and I have oh, I've made a show together. We'll do it this week. It's been a month. Hey, Ev, I will wrestle you. Hey, honey. Mm -hmm. uh, come back in 20 minutes, please. Okay. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> Bye. We're, we're doing a show together. We've, we've filmed probably 13 episodes. Oh, I forgot. I keep forgetting. Wow. But um, it's called Motherload. Oh, what a great name. Yes. <laughs> And it's basically him asking me questions, and he's the DP, and he, he'll, he'll ask kind of a pretty big question, like, how do you stop racism? And then he'll zoom in on my nostril while I'm talking. <laughs> <laughs> Is he, he's your director and your EP? Yes, and he's, sort of the, yeah, he's oh, definitely great. the producer. <laughs> when are you and guys releasing? more incentivized to put it out than I am. Um, when, when are you going to release this to the world? Well, according to him, within the next week. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, it's really, it's down and dirty. There's no makeup. There's no glam. It's me in my sweatpants, usually at the end of a day where I can, I'm speaking in tongues. I'm so tired. But he'll come in and say, let's shoot one. You know, I'm like, oh my yeah. God. Thankfully, the episodes are maybe two, two to six minutes long. So that helps. You know, that's great. You have a lot of content coming out for us to consume, and I love it. Yes. <laughs> um, what are your pretty forks in the road, Alanis? Uh, all those junctures of what to do, you know, for in a song called like Sandbox Love, it's basically mm -hmm. about 
if I've been sexually abused, what does healthy sex look like? Now I'm in a marriage and there's this opportunity to have a whole different take on sexuality with my partner. What does that even look like? So the awkwardness and the curiosity around that. So junctures for me right now around healing, around trauma recovery, being a mom, unschooling, um, mental health. You know, I'm on medication for postpartum activity, as I call it, PP. Mm-hmm. Um, I can relate to that. Yeah. Did you have it? I had, um, I had, he, he wouldn't go so far as to say postpartum, but I God had, forbid. <laughs> yeah, God forbid. He says, God forbid. baby blues. And I go, okay. You know, for oh, I know three years? <laughs> I know. I know. I, I can't stop crying. Even in happy things. I, I, I just had this overwhelming sadness and it was paralyzing. Yeah, it was um, paralyzing. Yeah, I, I didn't, I, he, he, he just wouldn't, I don't know, he's an, he's an older gentleman, my doctor, and he just, he said, well, we call this the baby blues, and you're going to power through it and be fine, so that's what I did, I, but, but, you know, my son's 18, so we didn't have the, I feel like even then, time, yeah. it was different, yeah, it was different. Yeah. I'm sorry. It's yeah, well, thank you. Yeah, I know yeah. for you, too. Uh, yeah, um, but when I speak with women who've experienced it, there's, we almost, you know, we just want to hug it out because there's not yeah. much to be said other than, oh, fuck, that's hard. Yeah. Um, but each time I've had it, as soon as I stop breastfeeding, you know, and then I, this time I'm going to go back on bioidentical hormones and mm-hmm. I have a little TMI, but I basically have like lactomenopause. Like my hormones are just, you know, it's a party right now. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's pretty kindly. Um <laughs> But also one of the biggest parts of postpartum activity is, is the, is that my brain is not the same. So usually when things are hard, I usually go to the intellect, you know, that's my kind of defense, humor or intellect. Mm -hmm. So to not have that in my back pocket has been interesting. It's actually required me to be much more vulnerable because I need to lean on people. I need people to record things for me or remind me or you know, it's, it's really vulnerable to not have the neofrontal cortex cooking along like it normally does. It's always been my ace in the hole and, and it's not here. So mm-hmm. it doesn't mean I can't talk. <laughs> it just means yeah, that's right. what I'm talking about. <laughs> so, well, I yeah. love your honesty. I love your voice. It's one of my favorite voices ever. Hmm. And um, I love being able to reconnect with you. After all these years, I, I, was, I was new in radio in L.A., and you were one of the one of my first artists that I met, and I'm so happy that it was you. And that here oh. we are again, 25 years later. It's just I'm so glad. So let's connect uh, in another 25 years. How about that? <laughs> Maybe Maybe I'll, I'll be up in your neighborhood a lot. My son's going to Stanford, so oh, cool. Uh, I was born in Palo Alto. My dad used oh. to. My dad got his uh, doctorate there, so we're going to be in your neck of the woods a lot. Okay, He's, well, let me know. Yeah. I will. I want to come look you up. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, hopefully we'll be, a, be able to get out of the house by then. Yeah. Um, but yeah, thank you. All right. Well, thanks. Congrats on all your success, Alanis. Thank you for being uh, a great representation for women, uh, you know, helping us relax into things and, and be honest with ourselves, really. Mm, thanks. Uh, thanks for saying that. And it's my joy. And thanks for your questions. They're really thoughtful. Uh, have a great one. You too. Bye. Bye. That was great. Thank you very much. Thank you. 
So I'm just going to hit stop. And then when I end this session, it'll start making the file. Thanks, Dar. That was really good. She's great. She's so smart. She is. She I uses like, I had vocabulary. <laughs> she has huge words in her head. <laughs> wow. That was really good. I loved how she, she's, she's always been like that, but it's cool to hear her like that as a mom. Yeah. I liked that too. I liked that a lot. I thought that's the part. Those were my favorite parts. I love when the kid came in. Yes. <laughs> that was so great. I'm like, oh, this is awesome. I know. I'm like, keep going, keep going. Oh, <laughs> uh, that was fun, Dar. Thank you. Okay. I'm going to hit stop. Okay. All right. All right. I'll talk Have to you a later. good one. Thank you. Okay. Love you too. Good Bye. job. Bye.